Welcome to the Southwest Londoners podcast on the greatest sport in the world. Kick back, relax, and listen as we chat non-stop about the Six Nations. We wrote them off, but Wales are the greatest team in the world. Or is it France who are the best team in the world? Wait, is it Italy? No, it's definitely not Italy. Either way, ready yourself for the worst jingle you've ever heard in your life. What a weekend of rugby, ladies and gentlemen. As one of our esteemed guests once said, the Six Nations is apparently all about lash, banter and some bloody good rugger. And let me tell you, we got all of that this weekend and hopefully you'll get a bit of that on the pod. I've just cracked open my metaphorical can of Stella and I can't wait to talk rugby with some pals. Because even if your drink is metaphorical, drinking alone is a bit of a problem. So, hello Johnny. Hello mate. Hello Tom. Hello mate, how you doing? Bonjour Louis. Bonjour. Absolute pleasure to have you. And uh, Thomas. Ciao e bentornato, mio caro amico. Yeah, you too, mate. I'm uh, just cracking open my uh, bottle of Peroni over here. Very exciting. Anyway, onto the podcast. Sometimes you have to throw a bit of terrible chat into the podcast. Sometimes you have to throw a bit of terrible chat into the podcast. Terrible chat, terrible chat, terrible chat, terrible chat, terrible chat, terrible chat. Cheerio, guys. Thanks so much for coming. Scotland 24, Wales 25. Two wins from two for the Welsh, who were supposed to be really bad, according to the experts on the podcast today. Are they good or are they just really lucky? Johnny Bray. I don't think they were lucky this weekend as much as Scotland were unlucky. I don't think Xander Fagerson should have seen red for the clearance on Wynne Jones. I think he has to clear the man out in that scenario. And I think he was aiming for top of the shoulders because when Jones was uh, body position was so low and it moved up into the head. I think that's at worst a yellow card. Wales, I think under Gatland were able to control games in defense. And I think they've been able to transfer that to their time under Pivak. Hopefully they'll be able to maintain that and combine it with some attacking flair like the flair we saw from uh, Reese Samet this weekend. Tom Masters, you said... Someone needs to talk about Louis Reese Summit, and you will be that man. What an honour. I don't actually think I'm qualified to talk about him, to be honest. He's special. We've watched him do it in the Premiership uh, last year and uh, times this season for Gloucester. And he was just exceptional from the moment he entered the league as a little 18-year-old. Pretty quickly, actually, after like three or four games, there was sort of, oh, is he going to play for England? Is he going to play for Wales? And then someone asked him in a... Uh, in an interview, and he said, no, I'm Welsh, I'm playing for Wales if I get picked, and he did pretty quickly. And he showed at the weekend once again that he's a really special talent and actually one of a few quite exciting young Welsh backs. Uh, you've got Johan Lloyd as well at Bristol. I mean, I can't really do it justice, his performance. His first try was a, a good finish, and his second one was a moment of pure genius and something that I've watched, I'm not going to lie, about 10 times since. And it was a, a try worthy of winning the game. It was, it was, it was absolutely brilliant. I would say it was more Wales being good than Scotland being bad or Wales being lucky. I think they were really efficient with their opportunities. When they got into Scotland's 22, we saw those really strong moves that set up tries. And then, to be honest, really quick and simple hands got the job done. I think the obviously the second Zamet try was out of this world and was sort of special. But 
obviously some percentage of that is down to Scotland being at 14 men because in the first half we saw Scotland's kicking strategy in particular get them get them yards and created two of their, two of their tries and then that sort of disappeared in the second half I think we saw in the England game that Scotland were able to manage being a man down for 10 minutes really well. And then once the red card happened in this game, we didn't see that same composure from Scotland, which was really disappointing, to be honest. We definitely do owe Wales an apology, it feels like. Uh, maybe me the most. I feel like we've all forgotten that I actually genuinely ask if they could finish uh, bottom of the Six Nations this year. <laughs> That doesn't look like it's going to happen, sadly. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty clear to see why support for Welsh independence is growing when you look at this team, I would say. But joking aside, <laughs> I think the the seeds for this team seem to have been sown in that experimental Autumn Nations Cup where they didn't play so well but managed to blood a couple of these young players who are coming through now. I think it was four of the 15 who finished the match on Saturday, made their debuts then, one for Sapper's Corner, that, perhaps. But uh, it's just... A sign, I guess, that that rubbish tournament performance was actually provided the bedrock for something more interesting here. And I just wondered what you guys thought about that, whether we could have foreseen that Wales might be in this position uh, based off that slightly rubbish Autumn Nations Cup performance, but which arguably provided some players with some vital minutes. I think we could have foreseen it, but not to trample over what you've just said about depth. But I think we saw in the autumn that it gave Wales the opportunity to try some more things strategically. For example, the way they used Faletau and Tipperick much more in the middle of the field. So they had their ball handlers, who are also good passers of the ball, involved much more. And they, we've seen that pay off quite a lot. Tipperick has been uh, sensational for two games. I think it's more those strategic tweaks that have had an effect. Although, obviously, having those uh, sort of second and third choice players get a good run out last year is... Uh, provided them with much more confidence going into the Six Nations. And they've changed the game a lot because under Warren Gatland, who was obviously coach of Wales for over 11 years, they had a specific game plan, which they stuck to. Uh, and it was very different from what Wayne Pivak's trying to play. In many ways, Wayne Pivak's trying to play more rugby, trying to throw the ball around more. And I think changing the Welsh game plan from Gatland to Pivak is taking time. But now I think we're starting to see the, uh, the rewards of that change. I, I respect what you're saying, Tom, and I, I don't want to come back at you too strong here, my friend. <laughs> uh, um, but I, I think the thing that really is is putting Wells above other teams at the moment isn't necessarily that pivot style. It, it's more the fact that, you know, they're able to spend as little as two, three minutes a game in the opposition half, but constantly will come away with 10 plus points. Now, that's just efficiency. That's really impressive. They don't have to look good for any part of the game, really, if they're every time they go into the 22, they're coming away with points. Yeah, no, Johnny, I actually, I totally agree with you on that. And I almost wonder if they, it's early doors, obviously, but whether they would be the kind of perfect, perfect champions for this COVID hit Six Nations, right? Where it's much more about kind of attritional rugby, I think, like you were saying, which is what what is happening on the international stage as a whole, whether this slightly experimental, not always the most convincing, but they kind of know how to take the blows and get these important wins, adapting to what's in front of them, whether actually that will stand them in better stead than, say, France. Just playing devil's advocate there. Yeah, it would be typical Wales to come into this tournament. No one expected them to do anything. Everyone expected them to probably come fifth. It would be very typical of Wales to then come in and win the tournament. Unfortunately, SB Sapper couldn't be with us today. 
He's too busy measuring the average ball velocity of France Fiji 2007. But don't worry, he's still had time to provide us with a Sapper's Corner. Take it away, Sapper. Salutations, Sapper's Corner. Sapper's Corner. Some amount of factual evidence, reason, and numbers. I love Sapper's Corner. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Sapper's Corner. So, according to the stats, Scotland were actually quite unlucky to lose this game, as they were ahead in most areas. They had 62% possession, spending 7 minutes 33 seconds in Wales' 22, compared to the 1 minute 30 seconds Wales spent in their 22. Stuart Hogg again impressed for Scotland, with two tries, but the man of the match has got to be the 20-year-old Rhys Samet, who really impressed with his performance, scoring two tries to put Wales ahead. This makes him the top try scorer in the tournament so far. Okay. We love Sapper's Corner. We do love Sapper's Corner. You are right, Johnny. This is exactly what you said would happen to Scotland, Tom. You told us last week you warned us. We didn't listen, but you were right. Yeah, I was smug about that one. Uh, I won't lie. Uh, I think it was a bit of a strange game because in the first half, Scotland were looking very good and they were dominant and they were 17 3 up. Uh, and it, it kind of looked like I was going to be very wrong. And then I wasn't, which is always nice. But I think it's it's one of those games that they they probably, in fact, definitely at 17-3 should have won. Uh, they were playing good rugby. Stuart Hogg was incredible. Definitely didn't deserve to be on the losing team. And then they lost. Uh, I think the red card didn't help. And it came in at 53 minutes. So still uh, quite a long time left of the game. We can agree or disagree whether it was a red card, probably for hours. But the fact is it happened. It was given as red. and. Yeah, I mean, again, second week in a row, um, Wales get a team down to 14 men. I, I saw a tweet that said they're, they're lucky that uh, their props have such punchable faces, which was an interesting way of thinking about it. Um, yeah, from a Scotland perspective, I think they've got to just rebuild from this. They did play quite well generally, but then obviously let a big league go, red card, discipline problems, kind of classic kind of Scottish way of losing a game. They probably should have won. Fair enough. Louis, you thought the game plan fell through for Scotland, didn't you? Yeah, I think in the first half, they were excellent. That kicking strategy really worked, thinking those balls over the top. Ali Price had a great game. But then with that red card in the second half, they didn't really adjust very well. And But at the same time, they had a chance to win the game right at the end, and it could have gone their way. So I don't, I wouldn't be too harsh on Scotland. I think all the, all the tools they need to win the Six Nations essentially I think it's still on the cards are there so if I was them I would keep doing what they're doing. So after essentially saying Wales deserved it we've concluded with Wales were lucky. Hello it's me. Before we play the next jingle our legal team said we needed to leave a disclaimer because apparently it's too horrible to the ears so this is said disclaimer and if you really don't like it it's, it's Johnny's fault. If you kick line out, go along, go get a line out. If you vex line out, nobody pip will get it line out. If you have line out, right or not, they'll stop that line out. Go and get high, make a scene line out, and then make a move from the green and shout at it. You get it? While out, line out. It's very clever, actually. Yeah, I'm sorry.
back to the pod. Yeah, I'm really sorry. Ireland 13, France 15. The French are bloody good at rugby, aren't they? What did you think of Ireland's performance? I don't want to give Pesha too much time to you know, ramble about France. Let's kick things off with Ireland. I was sort of simultaneously impressed and really disappointed by Ireland because they clearly came in with a game plan that was essentially working. They're kicking just outside the 22 with the high bombs worked on plenty of occasions. Their territory was there for especially the first half. But then they would sit there with the ball in phase play and not really move forward. That French Sean Edwards defence really just halted them in their tracks. And then France, on the other hand, were just really efficient with their chances. So Ireland are really going to have to buck up their ideas when it comes to their attack because it's it's shown two weeks in a row that it's not getting the job done. Yeah, I'm sad about Ireland. Two losses in a row. I mean, what can they expect from this tournament for the rest of it, Johnny? I thought Ireland looked a world away with the ball in hand from last week. I thought last week they really got some joy in the centres through Henshaw and Ringrose. This week against France, I think they were quite poor, quite wasteful. In contrast, I just thought France were very efficient. I thought Dupont showed his ability as a nine who can control a game rather than just being like consistently insane. And I think it's a game that French teams in the past would have lost. So I was very impressed by France, but I'd like to see more from Ireland. Yeah, I think Ireland are another team in a bit of an odd position, kind of similarly to Wales, but the other way around, if that makes sense, in that I don't think they played particularly badly at all. But they obviously find themselves with two losses now, which were really shaken them. They never went into the tournament with realistic objectives on the of the title, but they're surely better than second last. And I think you can point to how circumstances in both of the games have gone against them. I mean, obviously, the red card in the first game, that's a player doing that. But it does feel like in the second game, that lack of experience in the players they were missing, like Sexton, like Murray, that will have really impacted them. And I, I don't know if you saw, Chris, but to add insult to injury, they also dropped to sixth place in the world rugby rankings today. But I'm going to put it out there. I think they're better than that. I just, I feel like they're another team who, after two games, maybe a being written off. I'm not saying they're going to win the title, far from it, but I do think they're better than second last. There's some bloody good names in rugby. I've got to say, Ring Rose and Tipperick are my all-time favourites at the minute. I love uh, Rocco Coco. Just, oh, God, what a name. Rugby 08 vibes. Um, it is true in these like very short international tournaments, we make huge conclusions out of very fine margins in games. You know, Ireland are automatically bad because they've lost two games in a row. It's very strange. Well, that's what I feel. That's what Thomas feels. But I wonder what the stats say. Sapper, wherever you are, tell me what the stats are, please. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Sapper's Corner. Thanks, Chris. So Ireland-France was a very, very close game in the stats, as is, of course, reflected by the scoreline. Ireland had more overall possession at 56%, but both teams spent comparable time in each other's halves, with France edging it overall with 10 minutes 47 seconds spent in Ireland's half, compared to the 9 minutes 51 seconds Ireland's, Ireland were in their half. Bryce Doulant impressed and was man of the match with his try assist, which gives him two try assists overall in the tournament. So he's in second place with that stat, just behind the stunning Antoine Dupont, his fellow countryman. Back to you, Chris. Who won France that game, Tom? Uh, well, Brice Doulan was probably correctly given man of the match for dealing with the uh, aerial threat that Ireland kept giving him. 
but I thought the the two the two moments that won France the game were obviously the two tries, uh, and they were both created by the halfbacks. One each. Dupont injected a bit of tempo and pace for the first try. I think he got two quick passes away, and then obviously was finished off by Olivon on the far side uh, with uh, Gael Fuku, one of my favourite players at the moment, with a nice little pass. But the second try was was very impressive by Jalibert. I thought. He got the ball uh, on sort of seven metres out from the Ireland line. Ireland was set defensively and he just switched it, threw one pass out and then bang, finished off really well in the corner by Penner. So it's just two moments of quality in a game where it could really have gone either way. And I think that's what separates, as uh, Johnny said just now, a French team that probably would have lost this game a while ago. That's what separates this French team from the previous French teams of the past decade who have obviously failed to win at the Aviva. So I was very impressed with those two. Most of the credit has to go to Sean Edwards and that defence. The French back five of their pack, the second rows in the back row, but essentially just drove Ireland back every time they tried to try to carry it towards the try line. I think we've seen in the past that they haven't quite been 100% efficient with that defence. They've left gaps occasionally and got tired. We saw the last time they played Ireland, they let in quite a few easy tries. But today, they were just really efficient. Their second rows, who are both massive, just uh, stopped, uh, stopped Irish players with ease. Louis, I think we speak a lot about the quality of the French defence under Edwards. I, I was looking at the stats, sort of trying to channel my inner pool, and I, I, I noticed that France weren't getting a lot of joy at the breakdown. And actually, it was an area where um, Ireland were quite dominant. Obviously, we've looked at the defence and France have really improved in that area. As a part of constructive criticism, where do you reckon they can improve and how do you reckon they can improve in that area? I think the breakdown is somewhere that they definitely could find more opportunities. But I think uh, in particular in that game, I would give the credit to Ireland for securing their own ball pretty well. You know, that back row is very experienced. And even though Rhys Ruddock is, uh, has not had many caps, he's huge. So moving him off the ball and going for turnovers is easier said than done. So I would say that's more Ireland than France. But I think you're right. In terms of the French back row, Gautier likes to pick big lads, essentially. Aldri, Olivon and Jolange are all sort of blind sides or number eights in terms of their profile. Uh, so it's not a, a main target for them defensively. It's more about getting set and then sprinting up from the line. Mo, mo, mo. How do you like it? How do you like it? Mo, mo, mo. Let's get ready. Mo, mo, mo. How do you like it? How do you like it? Mo, mo, mo. How do you like it? How do you like it? England 41, Italy 18. It was a close one. The talking point of this game, unfortunately, was Jack Willis suffering an injury in a tackle with Sebastian Negri. The debate is, should the ruling be changed at the breakdown? Tom, I know you wanted to come in on this. It was a massive dampener on, obviously, Inga getting a, a win and a relatively fun game being played. Because um, it was obviously a very nasty injury. He had to be stretched off. He'll be out for a while now. We now know that it wasn't. He hasn't torn his ACL, which is good. Uh, but obviously still a nasty injury. Looked like a knee dislocation, but couldn't obviously see. They wouldn't show too much detail, uh, obviously. But yeah, I just think with that, I think all the focus on the ruck and the breakdown generally recently has been about head injuries and about contact with the, the head and everything. And that part of the game, which is just as dangerous, but in a different way, has been completely neglected. Um, and there are a lot of talking points about whether 
the crocodile roll shouldn't be part of the game anymore just because of how much weight is on how much you know these players are so heavy now and so strong that when you're in that position as I'm sure you know, Johnny will know as well a breakdown your knee is in quite a weak position and it doesn't take much to completely put you out on a bad position and this injury is quite common we see it quite a lot especially in like South Africa where the ground's harder and your studs get caught in the ground and there's just the general potential argument that should that not be allowed and if you can't come in at the side of a ruck surely you shouldn't be able to take a player out of the side of the ruck and you should be clearing them out through the middle it's it's not Negri's fault at all obviously it's a complete accident he was just doing what he could to get Willis off the ball but it's caused a serious injury again and it's something that maybe we could talk about changing I completely respect the point you made Tom and obviously first I want to preface everything I say by saying that that injury for to Jack Willis was horrific and Obviously, it's so unfortunate for it to happen to him on that day of all days, his Six Nations debut. Uh, but I think what Ugo Monia said was a bit harsh regarding the crocodile tackle. I think in the actual game, sometimes if people are in a great body position, it's the only way to clear out of the ruck. You need to get the ball presented uh, so that your team can get quick ball. And I think a lot of what actually uh, took place there was much more to do with knee position or knee lodging in the ruck rather than the danger of the tackle itself. Obviously, you are putting a lot of weight in there. You don't want your legs being trapped in those tight positions. You've got to keep them in a safe position. I'm not blaming Jack Willis for the injury at all. It's incredibly unfortunate what happened. But I think if you eliminate that rule from the game, as is often the case with rule clarifications and rule changes in rugby, you'll inevitably end up in a position where further issues are caused by the change. It kind of seems a shame to talk about an injury when actually a game of rugby was played and quite a fun game of rugby. England did underwhelm though, didn't they, Tom? If you look at the game back, there are definitely two of the tries. You could argue the Johnny Hill try as well. We're quite fortunate to have been given. I'm of the opinion that the Johnny May try is a jump. He's jumped over the tackle, so it shouldn't have been given. And um, apparently Nigel Owens has said that as well. So... There's definitely a debate. That's a very debatable call. It was given whatever. The there were a couple of forward passes in the run up to the Watson try. Then there was the Hill. Did he was a double movement? So you can take those three tries, you take them away from the game, and suddenly it's like 2018 and it's very close. So there's that. But I think generally the performance from England, especially in the first half, everything that seemed to go wrong seemed to be the same two players, which was Ben Youngs and Elliot Daly, who, in my opinion anyway, outstayed their welcome in the England shirt. Um, I think Ben Youngs has been a great servant to English rugby over the years and getting him his 100th cap in the uh, Italian game in the last Six Nations in uh, October was great and he deserved it. But for me, that should have been where it ended. And uh, since then, it's sort of been mediocre performance after mediocre performance. And in that Italy game in the first half, there were so many mistakes and it was quite frustrating for me. And then Daly as well. I think he's obviously a very good player, but he's not playing for Saracens. You could argue he's not even a, a natural fullback, uh, and he's he's had another weak game. He's missed a tackle. He did end up scoring a try, but I mean anyone could have scored that. Let's be honest. So I think another weak performance from him. And you've got to look at the fact that on the bench, well not even on the bench. Harry Randall's not even on the bench, but I thought Dan Robson as well when he came on was very good. That maybe it's time to start moving away from those same players and try to bring in some more attacking, exciting players who play for the form team in the country, Bristol at the moment, like Harry Randall and Max Malins. Would you put Max Malins in there at fullback, given his lack of uh, full game time experience, or would you bring someone else into the squad as a specialist fullback? I think I would 
put Max Mayans at fullback. I think I'd give him a go. I think he'd raise the game of players around him. At the moment, Daly seems to be getting the ball. He did less against Italy, but against Scotland in particular, he'd get the ball and just kick it straight back. I don't think Mayans would do that. I think he'd get the ball, try and get England on the counter-attack. And with players like May and Watson around him, uh, that could be quite exciting. So that's what I'd do. And I think Randall as well, for, from a scrum half perspective, would get England much more on the front foot. There'd be a lot less slower ball. Uh, I think it would just make England much better to watch, personally. I don't know if you noticed this, Tom, but you know England um, won the game. I mean, all the talk's been very negative so far. But let's give a bit of positivity here. Like, what performance stood out? And I thought Anthony Watson was pretty good. What do you think, Louis? I agree. For me, as much as a winger can be, he was the reason that England won that game. His first try was an incredibly fast and uh, clinical finish. And then that second try, when it was 27-11, I believe, Italy are going, look like they're going to score, which was really going to bring the game closer together. And that interception essentially killed the game and won it for England. So uh, I would give huge credit to Anthony Watson, who is often left out there on that wing by himself, waiting for, waiting for the ball to arrive. Today, he really uh, showed what he could do. Johnny May's 100 metres is even faster than Anthony Watson's. 10.8 seconds. That's pretty fast. And that was a stat. Do you want to hear some more stats? Sapper, give me a stat, please. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Sapper's Corner. Thanks, Chris. So as the scoreline suggests, England did dominate this game. They had 59% of possession and made 557 metres, compared to Italy's 316, a big improvement from last week. Anthony Watson had a great performance, scoring two tries for England, and he's now joint second for most tries scored in the tournament, just behind Wales's Rhys Zamet. Back to you, Chris. Thank you, Sapper. That made my day. Anyway, Thomas. Ciao, Bella. How's it going? Bueno. Um, <laughs> Italy. They had quite a good start to the game. They scored really early on. I thought we had an upset on. Yeah, that was really exciting. When, you know, going 5-0 up through Montiani, who who I think has been one of their brightest sparks this tournament. You might argue not hard, but I would argue <laughs> otherwise. It did feel a little bit like England might be rattled in that first section of the game. I just thought as well in their, in Italy's celebrations for, for that first try that it was kind of reminiscent of last year when they tried to unnerve England a bit with these kind of ex over-exuberant celebrations. I think there were actually a lot of positives for Italy this game, more than in the game against France. Maybe that's just because they took the lead early on, but attacking-wise, they are looking to do something really, really exciting, I think. Uh, I mean, Franco Smith came out after the game and was sort of scorned a little bit for these comments where he said, he was really happy. It's negative, but also positive, whatever the hell that means. We need to improve <laughs> technically and tactically, but physically we are getting there. I suppose that last bit is kind of the crux of it because physically they do look they do look up to it. But we were talking about this earlier and you just wonder with this young group of players how many drubbings it takes before they become just as mentally scarred as their predecessors. Maybe that's a bit harsh on their predecessors. That's obviously not the case for everyone. But I would actually argue what Louis was talking about there, the moment when... Paolo Garbisi kind of wonders if he can just keep up with Watson and then sort of gives up because he didn't really have any chance of catching him up, is kind of the Ralph Wiggum, you can pinpoint the exact moment at which his heart splits in half kind of moment for, for Italy. And you just, you do wonder mentally 
what effect these kind of defeats are going to have on Italy. But the fact that they went ahead was really positive. Yoani was really good. I thought that move where he tore up about, what was it, 60 metres of the Twickenham turf was really exciting. And again, there are, there are good signs, but the problem is in defence, they're always going to be a bit shaky. I thought Watson absolutely strolled through for that first try. And that's not really good enough at this level. I mean, you're, you're an incredibly learned man. You're a wise man. You're a very positive man. When you talk to me, I believe it. And then I watch them and then they're really bad. Uh, <laughs> in my mind, they're not very good. And you say Italy have been progressing. And I, I, as I said, I believe you, but they keep losing. Um, so how are you measuring that progress? I think the progress is in things like scoring two tries against England, a notoriously mean defence. That, that to me is a pretty good sign of progress. But we were discussing it earlier and it just feels like the lack of experience isn't necessarily a problem in attack. If anything, it's, it's actually a big positive to see players like Varney and Garbisi trying out new things. But in defence, I think, is where it really lets them down. They, they need those players who are going to spot when you know, players are running through and they just didn't have that on Saturday. They had a strange tactic in terms of kicking as well that, that I know some of the members of the pod want to talk about, but it did feel like they were ceding possession a lot of the time to England and their kind of follow-up game, as it were, running towards England wasn't quite there. I wondered, Louis, if you had anything to say about that. Yeah, Italy is still sticking with the old strategy of uh, when they're clearing from their 22, they throw it right back to their fly half, 10, 15 metres behind the ruck to kick it out, which... I think at this level we know now is the least efficient way of clearing your lines. And I'm not sure if it's because uh, Varney isn't quite up to the box kicks yet or if it's just the strategy they've gone for. But either way, that probably needs to change. And then the Italian chase is uh, really, uh, really key. It needs to improve. We saw against France, they allowed a really easy counter-attack try from a kick. And against England, you could see even though Daly and Farrell and the like didn't quite take advantage of it as much as they could have, there were gaps in the line that were exploitable. And that's something that they can definitely fix by the end of this tournament. Defence is going to take a lot longer, but the kicking game can definitely be resolved. That was Tomas's Italian corner and uh, Louis taking a sip of Tomas's Peroni there. Lovely. The Six Nations is pretty much my Glastonbury. For me, it's a six-week festival full of rock. And some bloody good ruggers. Boys, you've given me good chat. You've reviewed the games very well. I feel like I've learned a lot. Finally, tell me your player of the week. Tell me your flop of the week. I'm going to kick things off with Thomas. For my player of the weekend, it's got to be Lewis Rizamit. I thought it was so exciting for a bit of a great unwashed when it comes to rugby. I think those are the kind of players that you really like to look out for. And in fact, quite a good weekend for wing play in general, I would say. Flop of the weekend, if only because he made me look a right mug for saying he'd be the player of the weekend last week, is uh, Owen Farrell, who I thought was very quiet, didn't do much. And I take those kind of things personally, Chris. Yeah, Owen Farrell had a bit of shade this week in the media. He has not done well. Tom Masters, your turn. Yeah, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be very original. My player of the weekend is definitely Louis Rees-Samit. Uh, two tries, incredible performance, um, man of the match, winning team, not lost in the Six Nations yet. What a player. What a player. Shame he's chosen Wales. 
Uh, and my flop of the weekend, you won't be surprised to hear, is Ben Young's. Uh, another uh, poor performance. He slowed England's attack down. And uh, when he went off for Dan Robson, it was much, much better. So he is my flop. Louis Pescher. I'm going to be a little too clever with my uh, player of the week. I'm going to go for Federico Mori of Italy, who <laughs> in just 30 minutes of play managed five broken tackles. So per, per minute, I would say he was the player who wreaked the most havoc at the weekend. And my flop of the week, I'm going to be really harsh and go for Duan van der Merwe for his attempted offload at the very end of the Wales-Scotland game, which ruined their opportunity. He broke the line. He got 20 metres downfield. They were just outside the 22 and his offload barely got off the ground. Oh, I love that, Louis. Louis, I'm a big fan of your work. I've got to say that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, Johnny, are you going to go hipster or are you going to go more conventional? I'm going as conventional as it can. I'm literally choosing uh, the BBC player of the match uh, <laughs> as my, and, and that's not, that is just genuinely because Carl Sinclair uh, was once again, absolutely superb for England. I think at the World Cup, England's key players were the Vunapolas, Atoje, Manu and Farrell. But now I think we're watching the development of one of the best front row forwards in the world. I, I don't think Eddie Jones is going too far by saying that he's immense. And then my flop of the weekend, I'm going to be a bit, a bit booky here, uh, Chris, and I'm going to say that actually rugby discourse was the flop of the weekend. I'm, I'm going to say, I'm, I can see the look on your face. I know they won't be able to see it in the podcast, but it was one of disgust. And I'll tell you why. Uh, and I'll tell you why. It's because generally, I think there was a lot of conta uh, contentious decisions this weekend. I think a lot of them weren't as clear cut as, say, the Peter O'Mahony uh, shoulder charge last week. And I think Quite quickly, uh, rugby Twitter, rugby online forums, uh, articles all went to attack people expressing their belief that, you know, maybe May's try wasn't a try or maybe people were attacked who said that May's try was a try or, or in the case of Xander Ferguson, that it was a red or it wasn't a red. And I think maybe we all need to learn to be a bit nicer to each other, mate. You know what? I agree that people need to chill out sometimes. I'm feeling very relaxed at the moment. Got rugby up to my eyeballs and I love it. And uh, I think that'll be the pod. Thomas, you were a pleasure as always. You've been a pleasure, Chris. I wish I could say in Italian, but I can't. Sorry. Tom Masters, it was wonderful to have you. Thanks very much, Chris. A pleasure as always. Uh, Louis Peschur, cheers. Merci beaucoup, Chris. Merci de rien. Yeah, flexing there. Relax, guys. Johnny Bray. Cheers, Chris. Pleasure, mate. Well, we got a week off next weekend, which I'm very sad about, but don't worry. I'll sit in my room watching old rugby matches, just thinking about Sapper, like I always do. But until next week, we hope you have a wonderful time. Thank you. Rugby is such a good sport, and so are you for listening. Please join us again next week, when I reckon we'll probably be still talking about the Six Nations, because it's so bloody cold. Please come back.